It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. And welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, you can also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app. If you download that app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM, and uh, just follow the directions. You could be listening on your device of choice anywhere across the country, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, which could come in handy with our next guest, who happens to be in British Columbia. And I would like to welcome Jessica McDermott to the show. She is the author of Highway of Tears, and it is a shortlisted book uh, for the upcoming uh, RBC uh, Taylor Awards in uh, March of 2nd, I believe, is when they uh, they will be handing out that final award. So, Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, David. And we are here, of course, uh, wanting to discuss the book that uh, we just mentioned, Highway of Tears, uh, and it has to do with British Columbia, of course, uh, and its history, uh, specifically in many ways, with uh, Indigenous missing and murdered women. Um, so, uh, once again, uh, uh, congratulations on being shortlisted, by the way. Thank you so much. Um, Jessica, if you don't mind, I'd like to start by asking about the jacket of the booklet, uh, because um, it's it's very striking. Uh, it is very uh, beautiful in some ways, but of course we're talking about uh, a topic that is not necessarily one that would bring beauty to mind. However, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and I'm assuming this, uh, but the, the jacket was done by Kim Gucci, and she is a singer-songwriter and also a, a visual artist from the Prince George area of British Columbia. And uh, I have to say that when I looked at it, and I, I looked carefully at it because it grabbed my attention, um, I'm, I'm, what I'm wondering about is, is, did you approach her on this idea? I approached her asking her if she would do cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had met her a few years earlier on um, a walk along the Highway of Tears, mm-hmm. and we had over the years since become become friends and spent a lot of time together. And so when it came to time to be talking about the, the cover design, I, I wanted something really special, and I knew that if, if she would agree to do it, it would be. And mm-hmm. so that was the only discussion we had was would you would she do the cover and, and she agreed which I was really incredibly honored um, and then I didn't hear anything about it for for months and she was working with um, a designer who I believe was based in Toronto and and then they they sent me uh, what they had come up with and I was absolutely absolutely just floored by the power of it I mean it's mm. so beautiful but it's so heartbreaking and the more I looked at it the more I saw the more I saw in it, and and um, yeah, I really just could not thank him enough. She is an incredible artist and, and an incredible human being. Yeah, true enough, and and you know, I think that uh, you said it's very striking, but it's and it is very powerful. And uh, if I may, uh, I think it's uh, it, it's a nice way to honor these women we're we're now talking about in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, 
you know, uh, and, and there is a lot in that image. There's so much uh, there. Uh, and and she's captured so much uh, right off the top for, for uh, someone just picking up the book to see and see into and read into this, this book. Mm-hmm. So, um, as we mentioned, you're shortlisted for the RBC uh, Taylor Prize uh, coming up in, on March 2nd, and, and congratulations once again. And I understand also this is the last time that they'll be handing this out. Yes, yeah. This is the last one. Mm. So, uh, and they also, just so we can get this out of the way for those those awards and things, they they do have uh, quite uh, quite the jury uh, that, that's been looking over the books this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have to say, I mean, as a as a writer who grew up in Canada, the fact that Margaret Atwood read my book <laughs> was pretty incredible. <laughs> and then somebody pointed out, and they said, "Well, she must have liked it too." And I was like, "Whoa!" I didn't even thought of that part. Like, mm. um, because I mean, she's she's such an iconic figure in in Canadian literature. I think every Canadian writer definitely, you know, grew up on her books. Yeah. Now, as we mentioned, uh, the Highway of Tears is a real place in British Columbia, and it's about 725 kilometers long and stretching uh, on Highway 16 between Prince George and Prince Rupert. And it has a history, um, and it's not a very nice history. And uh, um, so I guess because you live in British Columbia, now I'm also wondering, did you grow up or did you, ha- did you spend some time in that area? Or are you from that area? Yeah, I'm from there. I grew up there. Um, my well, I was born on Haida Gwaii, but I think moved to a little community called Hazleton when I was three or so, and then to um, a rural area outside of Smithers, which is about halfway along the Highway of Tears, and and that's where uh, that's where I lived my entire entire life until I left home. Hmm. Um, you were born in Haida Gwaii, did you say? Yes. Wow. Um, so what is your heritage, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I'm a, a settler in the area, um, Scottish and Irish way okay. back when, but, mm. uh, but have been settled, settled in Canada for 300 years or so. Now, uh, being from the area, how early on uh, growing up in that area, did you become aware of this? Since childhood. Um, I mean, the first, memory I have, which I, I write about in the book, is seeing uh, there was a poster campaign. It would have been in late 94, early 95, so I would have been about 10. And um, there was a poster campaign for two girls that were missing from Smithers, um, Delphine McCall, who had went missing in 1990, and Ramona Wilson, who'd gone missing in 1994. And I remember there just being posters everywhere. Um, and then you know, over the years after, it it really was, I don't remember me or my peers thinking of it as really odd. I mean, we had nothing else to compare it to, but I mean, it is. when you, Like, Smithers is a town of 5,000 people. Um, mm. it, like, years passed between any murders happening there. And, and, you know, the fact that from that size of a community, that to have two two young girls missing and one of them, you know, was found murdered is, it really was. Um, and should be an anomaly. Mm, yeah, uh, but uh, as you you found out now, you uh, you obviously you're a journalist. You've worked with a number of, of different agencies over the years, um, uh, and uh, including the Toronto Star, the Associated Press, um, and 
I'm just wondering, was what did it become uh, a a story you were looking into uh, professionally, or was just this something that that attracted you on a personal level as well? Uh, I guess both. Um, I mean, as I grew up, the growing up there. I mean, it I, apparently a friend was telling me I was in my late teens and I was talking about doing a book about this. Mm. Um, I mean, I just I'm so wrong, and there was so little attention paid to it. You know, there would be the odd story. Um, the Vancouver Sun did a series um, in the mid aughts, I believe, and you know, once in a while it would sort of come trickle up to getting some kind of um, public attention, and then it would sort of disappear again. And there would be promises made by authorities, by government, etc., you know, that things are going to change, something's going to be done, and then nothing would happen, and it would disappear again. And so I guess, I mean, I, it had been with me for a, a long time, and as I uh, became a journalist and got more experience, I, at one point, I think in my early 20s, I, I had a summer off, and I thought that I could go and do a book on the Highway of Tears in in six weeks, um, <laughs> which you know rap- rapidly I realized that I I did not have the time, I didn't have the resources, and I frankly I didn't have the skills or maturity to do it. Mm. Uh, I think I was twenty four. Um, so, but I did. It, I mean, I did meet with some of the families and um, do some of the first interviews and, and become connected with people at that point. And so, you know, fast forward seven or eight years when I actually was in a position. To do it. Um, I, I had those connections, and I had been following it all that time. And and I mean, I, I felt that a book had to be done. I didn't know whether it would be me or somebody else who would do it. But, mm. but I felt that this needed more attention, and it needed to be sort of immortalized. And and these women and girls and their families needed to be honored and recognized for for all the work that they've done. It, it, well, thank you for giving us that backstory and, and how you got connected to it and, and realizing uh, at the time in the early uh, days, you say, you, have, you know, maybe doing this in six weeks and, and, and understanding that the, the story was much bigger and, of course, much more in depth. And, uh, and, but you had done some preliminary uh, uh, interviews, as you say, and, I'm, and that's what I was going to ask you about is, is that interview process and, and going through writing this book. Uh, all in all, how long did it take you to, to complete it? So about four or five years. Mm. And yeah, it, from when I was sort of uh, um, mainly focused on on doing the book, but as I said, I had been you know doing doing work and following it for years before that as well. Yeah. Now, uh, as you say, you you met with family members, you met with friends, you, you interviewed. Uh, I'm guessing police officers as well, from what it looks like in the book. Yes. Um, so. As you started to delve uh, into this um, on, on, a, on a really serious uh, uh, level, um, were you finding things out that you didn't know, or were you surprised at the depth of which this this was uh, th- that was confronting you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I was. Um, I, I learned a lot. I mean, about the area, about policing, about what had happened. I I mean, I sort of knew, I knew a little bit of some of the stories, but, but I mean, one of the most disturbing things that I learned was just, I didn't even know how many stories there were. Mm -hmm. Um, When I started out, I I had heard the ones that 
you know, have got the most attention because they're part of an RCMP task force that was launched in 2006. And it, and I had made the assumption that that was sort of, that was all of the cases. Um, and then, you know, I, on the, the first walk I did uh, in 2016, which was organized by um, Brenda Wilson, who's the sister of Ramona, who was murdered in Smithers in 1994, and Angeline Chalifaux, who's the auntie of Alex Oje, who was murdered in um, Prince George in 2006. And it was a 10-year anniversary walk from Prince Rupert to Prince George. And as we were walking, and every community that you would get to, you would hear more stories, mm-hmm. and you would hear more people. Um, and, you know, even up to when the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women took place in Smithers in um, September of 2017, there were families that came there to share their stories and share their truths who none of the, I had never heard of their loved ones before. And, and activists, um, advocates who have been working on this in that area for decades had never even heard those stories. So, um, I mean, there's just so, so many cases um and and learning that was just heartbreaking yeah and and i guess that's what i was i was wanting to ask you about is is how did you feel at that time you said you were heartbroken and of course i can understand that completely um did you feel that either it was too big of a project to perhaps take on or were you feeling that it might be too emotionally charged or uh, you know, just on a personal level to take on? Uh, yeah, I mean, there was many, 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 many times as I was working on this where I just sort of thought, like, how can I possibly do this? Um, because you really, I mean, I really wanted to honor these women and girls and their families. I, I wanted to do justice to their stories. Um, and... And it was, I was terrified that I would fail to do that. Absolutely terrified. Uh, and and then certainly just, I mean, these stories are are heartbreaking. So mentally and emotionally, it was it was often really really tough. Uh, and actually, I think the hardest time was after I finished the book, um, because up until then you, you kind of have your mission, you know, and you you've got to do it. And then there were many many times as I was working on this book where I. I really didn't feel that I was going to be able to do it justice or, mm. or you know, do the, the quality of work that was required to, to really honor these women and girls and their families. Um, so that was really intimidating. And then I think just working, I mean, spending so much time hearing such heartbreaking stories, um, getting really close to to the families and to people who have been, are just in, in so much pain and are are the, the victims of such injustice and indifference in, in the society um, was really, was really difficult. Um, and then I, the toughest time I think was when the book was finished. Up until then I sort of, I had a mission and I had a focus and I was doing the book. Um, and when it was over, it was just this sort of feeling of emptiness where you're kind of left with all these stories and nowhere to put it. And I was a real wreck. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, I can I can understand you. But, uh, but I, I appreciate also, though, what you said about uh, 
wanting to honor the girls and their families. Uh, I can certainly see the weight that would have put on you uh, in taking on this project. Um, and but uh, I think uh, for from you know for what it's worth, as I read through this, you've, you you did a very good job of of fleshing out the stories of these girls and their lives and their their families and their goals and and who they were as people and 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 uh, what they were what they were hoping to accomplish in in their lives and and that is something I believe that that you did that wasn't done for these girls. When when they went missing, because as you go through this book and you read the stories and you read how how they're they're uh, they they were dealt with and their families were dealt with at the time of their going missing, uh, it is heartbreaking to see and and see that they were pushed to the side. They weren't given the the kind of attention that, as you also point out with this book, that some of the other uh, non-Indigenous people that uh, had similar uh, disappearances, you know, and the attention that was given with, with their stories. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that was one of the things that I I was determined to do differently uh, in, in how I did this. And, um, you know, and I worked really closely with, the families on that to to share those stories and and to just learn and and you know spend time and then um when when the chapters were were finished for any of the families that wanted to i actually sent them the the draft mm. and said you know is this okay how do you feel about this because i didn't really i didn't want to do any more harm than has already been done and that was the most important thing to me in in this project, and and still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, nicely said with, with that as well. Um, now, of course, as you as you read through this book, uh, the other thing that you have done is you fleshed out the backstory of of British Columbia through this as well. And uh, you mentioned Smithers, and we've talked about uh, Prince Prince George, Prince Rupert, and some of the other areas that are mentioned along the highway uh, uh, Highway sixteen that that are incorporated into your book um and it really does show uh the the systemic racism that was and i was surprised to see how how deep that went and how far back that went i i I was surprised when i read that yeah i think you know it was the, the process of doing that research and talking to people and thinking about it it put so many things, I guess, in context to me that I had seen growing up, but I didn't know what it was. Mm. You know, so you would hear um, comments, and and you would sort of just pick up all of these um, these vibes in in the society. But when you know, when you're a kid and you're a young person, uh, you don't really have the the language, and and you certainly, you know, nobody was teaching us the, the history that I, that I put in the book uh, in school or anything like that. And so you don't really know what it is. Um, so it really was a process of, of kind of relearning history, uh, mm-hmm. learning a much more accurate history than the one that has been dominant for, for hundreds of years. Yeah, and and the other thing uh, that this book uh, that points out is also that you know, we're talking about the missing and murdered, the, the stories on the girls that went missing, but it also uh, touches on, of course, how 
this affected the families. It, it affected uh, the communities. It affected relationships, I mean, it, between the police and the indigenous communities. And you mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, going on the walk and how you hadn't heard of other stories. And I thought, well, you know, from what I've read in the book, that makes sense to me because indigenous people wouldn't have come forward. They, From what, you know, you, you brought forward in this book is that the indigenous people didn't have much faith in the police. No, no, absolutely not. And so uh, that being said, though, you also do speak with some of the RCMP officers and uh, some of the retired police officers, and, and you get a sense of also what they were dealing with um, and, and, you know, the burnout rate and, and some of that stuff because of the resources, the, the limited resources and uh, the vast areas that they had to cover and, uh, and I guess just the sheer amount of, of, uh, of missing girls that were coming forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that was, I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to illustrate what has happened between Indigenous communities and law enforcement and um, where, because that is a huge part of, of this crisis in Canada of, of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Um, but I, I, so part of it was sort of, finding out how troubled that relationship is and how deep that runs, uh, but also looking at, you know, why, what are, so when the, you know, we know that the police uh, don't seem to respond as quickly to some of these cases, and we know that families feel that the police don't care, so why is that? Mm-hmm. And I was a bit surprised, you know, to when it, to find some of the police officers I spoke to, some of it is really, you know, was sort of straightforward, just a lack of resources. Mm. That, you know, they couldn't get a car when they had to go do an interview. There was no car available to go and do the interview. Uh, problems like that. And, you know, I think the, the systemic racism within police forces is an enormous issue uh, in this country, but but negatively affects First Nations communities, but also the individual officers mm. who do care and want to do a good job, and they can't get what they need in order to do that job. And, you know, you talk to these guys 30 years later, and and they're retired, and they're sitting in a restaurant, and they start crying mm. when they're remembering this. And I, I was surprised by that. Yeah. Um you know, it it brings up the 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 idea of of racism as we talked about. But even as things started to change in BC with uh, the Wet'suwet'en, I believe, and and some of the other communities, when when it started to be recognized that their inherent right to the land uh, hadn't been dealt with, and communities started to get fearful, and that racism raged up in other ways that uh, that 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 was pointed in their face. Oh, are you going to uh, you, you know, if they were going to open a business, was it going to cost jobs or cost uh, their economy? Or were people going to get moved off their land? And, and uh, it brought up all these other issues as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, that period of time in that region was um, was really troubled. Uh, I mean, one of the newspaper stories I came across about a group of... Um, like loggers or, you know, white guys that drove a truck into 
where uh, I think it was Gitsan people had set up a blockade. Mm. And they drove a truck into the structure and threw a firebomb in it when there were six people inside. You know, like, they could kill people. Um, But, you know, that same tension, it it was, I think, at that time in that area, but it it is all across Canada. It is still um, constant. And, you know, it's back in that area now with what's going on with the Wet'suwet'en and and Unistoten and the coastal gas lake pipeline. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jessica, we're we're quickly running out of time, unfortunately. But before we go, I'd like like to know that now the book's out and you've had time to to sit with your feelings and you've had time to to get some feedback. I'm I'm guessing. Uh, what is your sense of of what this book has been able to do? I think that people are talking about the issue and people are learning, which is is really positive and that's sort of the point i mean i've heard from from long time um residents in that area who have said you know holy cow i had no idea and and now they know when they they're talking about it to other people people are very it's a, a small part of the necessary re-education of people in this country i hope mm. uh jessica we're gonna have to wrap it up there but i really appreciate you taking the time to join us uh and 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 on the show today and and share your thoughts and feelings and of course bring this book uh, and this very important issue to life for many people across the country. We wish you all the best uh, with uh, the RBC uh, Awards and uh, Taylor Prize Awards coming up on March 2nd as well and we'll be looking forward to uh, seeing what happens and perhaps we could get you back on the show at a later date as well. Great, thank you so much. Our pleasure. That is Jessica McNairmid and she is a Canadian journalist She's worked across North America and Africa. Uh, She's worked with Toronto Star, the Associated Press, uh, Canadian Business, Harvard Review. And uh, her book is called Highway of Tears. uh, And she is one of the shortlisted books uh, for the RBC Taylor Prize uh, coming up on March 2nd, uh, 2020. Uh, We appreciate her uh, coming on on, uh, the show. And uh, if you're interested, you can find out more uh, by looking up that book and looking up Jessica online. Uh, you can pick up this book, uh, I'm sure, at uh, any your local bookstore as well. Thanks once again to Jessica for uh, joining us on the show. But don't go away. We're going to be right back here on Moment of Truth and Element FM with more right after this. And welcome back to Moment of Truth. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa and 106.5 in Toronto. And of course, you could also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app. If you download that app and type in 95.7 ELMNT-FM and also uh, and or 106.5 ELMNT-FM and uh, you can uh, then just follow the instructions and you can listen on your device of choice anywhere across the country uh, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Uh, 24 hours a day and 7 days a week. It kind of ties in with... uh, the next guest I have on, because uh, he's here, he's, a rep- he's on the phone from us from, from the East Coast. Uh, he's the spokesperson for Bullying Canada. And they too have, uh, 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 they have uh, phone lines and things available for people in need that you can reach out uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Andy, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. Uh, so uh, I thought I'd uh, I'd, I'd mention uh, that right off the top, as it kind of you know tied in with uh, something that you guys do in terms of support for for bullying and youth bullying, um, and and so uh, 
I have you down as uh, the the spokesperson. Andy Mott is the spokesperson. Do you have a, a another title? Uh, public relations coordinator, but basically just that. Okay. Um, so Although we all wear yeah. a number of different hats. <laughs> right. And of course, uh, you know, bullying is a big issue uh, in on many fronts. Um, I know from your website that I went to, uh, and, and of course everyone can check that out, uh, and, and if people are in need, they can go, uh, as we mentioned to you uh, just a little bit earlier, if you go to... Uh, uh, yeah, bullyingcanada.ca uh, you can find out more from their website about the things they're involved with you can find out uh, about how to reach out and contact them for donations You can, and they're always looking for volunteers and, and uh, supports um, so there are those kind of things that, uh, that you can find out there as, as well but uh, just to get this off the top of the show as well uh, their number that you can reach anytime is one 352 and you can reach out uh, on email at support at bullyingcanada.ca. So, uh, Andy, what's going on with bullying these days? Well, how do we start about this topic? I know that, uh, you know, I have a, I have a daughter, for instance, uh, who, uh, while in public school, um, there were some issues, especially around girl bullying. Absolutely. Um, so... Bullying is a little bit more at the forefront of public conversation now, which is a great thing. Um, but the prevalence doesn't seem to be declining. Um, there's a number of types, uh, verbal bullying, cyber bullying, uh, physical bullying, um, social bullying, etc. And what we see is that even children not directly involved are impacted. Um, you, know, you don't have to be bullied or be a bully to have issues coming off of this um, merely by being a bystander. Um, you can have some some effects. Um, so what we try to do is make sure we offer this 24-7, 365 support network. That's at the core of everything we do, um, where we take a case management approach to resolving these situations. Um, from the initial point of contact, we might work with the youth involved, their family and community for a number of weeks in order to uh, find some sort of resolution. Um, um, now, uh, Bullying Canada is the only national anti-bullying charity solely dedicated to creating a brighter future for bullied youth. Um, can we can we describe bullying? What does that actually mean? How do you interpret that? Um, so bullying is basically unwanted aggressive behavior, uh, typically among school-age children, that involves either a real or perceived power imbalance. Um, generally, is repeated or has the potential to be repeated over time, um, and can lead to s- serious, long-lasting problems. Uh, specifically, it might be um, something that's just a matter of saying or writing mean things like teasing, name-calling, inappropriate contents, taunting, threatening, uh, taunting, threatening to cause harm. Um, social bullying might be a purposeful exclusion, um, you know, like a systemic ostracization of uh, a child by other children, um, spreading rumors, uh, purposely embarrassing someone. Um, might escalate into physical bullying, which could be 
hitting, kicking, um, spitting on someone, tripping, pushing them, taking or breaking their stuff. Um, and can go into some really extreme uh, situations, um, like what our co-founders experienced, causing them to uh, create this organization back when they were used themselves. Oh, can, you, can you share a little bit more about that? Um, for example, Rob Benfrenet, um has cerebral palsy and grew up being pushed away and ostracized mm. from classmates you know, for that perceived difference um, and actually led to uh, an incident on a school bus where two sisters actually used a lighter and burned the back of his head and neck. Um, so it was, you know, quite egregious. Um, and they looked for support at that time and there was just nothing really available. Um, so it led them to create the website and pull together resources. And then as they you know, became adults, turned it into a registered charity offering this comprehensive support network, unlike what else is available in the country. And how long has it been around then? in Canada. Um, so it was founded in 2006, so just over 13 years now. Mm. Uh, some of the things that uh, we can tell you about uh, Bullying Canada, it has a support team of volunteers of over 350 people. Um, you get uh, approximately uh, over 125,000 calls um, and emails and chats. Uh, that's uh, uh, up 17% uh, than from 2018, is that correct? Um, I believe those are uh, particular instances, mm. whereas we'll have more communications back and forth. Right. Um, so we are seeing an increase of people reaching out to use our services, which include the support line you mentioned. They can reach out by email, text, live chat on our website, um, Okay. And we typically try to remain proactively engaged in those situations until, you know, we can bring our community resources to bear, um, make some sort of resolution that everyone's able to move on in a safe, healthy manner. Uh, Andy, do you have any sense, uh, I'm not sure if this is a fair question to ask you or not, but um, uh, <laughs> where, where and why do you think this, this systemic issue with bullying uh, it sustains and keeps going on, and and where do you think this comes from? I mean, it's in it's in each of us. I think we all have that potential. Yeah. Um, well, it seems to be sort of a repetitive cycle. Um, people emulate behaviors that they see, um, whether that be something that they physically see in person among their peers or in media depictions, etc. What I think is making it a little bit worse nowadays as opposed to, you know, back when you or I might be going to school is the sort of interconnectedness that doesn't go away. Um, so a lot of people talk about cyberbullying and most people think it's just, okay, someone's, you know, being a jerk to another kid on Twitter or something. Uh, but whereas we could leave the school, go home and have a reprieve for you know, that afternoon, evening, and into the next day, it's almost inescapable now. Um, whether it be through text messages, social media, uh, people 
sharing things, whatever, it's hard to get that break. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, the damage can be more severe. Um, it can become normalized behavior where children see it and experience it and say, hey, this is okay. This is you know, how we're supposed to relate to each other. Um, so it's really a kind of a special concern. Um, some of the things that we can do about that is for parents to be somewhat more involved in that aspect of their child's life. Um, doesn't necessarily need to be micromanaged, and obviously different age groups will have uh, different kind of parameters for that, um, but at least talking to your children about what they're doing online, what's going on, um, and just keeping that dialogue open and be on the lookout for some of those warning signs where they might decide to, okay, we need to respond in some way, whether that's to intervene, loop in the school, loop in um, our support system, whatever the case may be. And so is Bullying Canada uh, making headway maybe within uh, or, or in that, that area of school where a lot of kids, of course, uh, are together uh, so many hours a day, you know, uh, hanging out on the, in the school uh, playgrounds and, and recesses and things. And uh, as you said, it's not just there. It continues with them because we are so interconnected via the, the Internet and social media these days. Um, are, are, you, are, are you, I mean, how, is there a connection or is there something you're working towards or with in terms of uh, education, classrooms, schools? Um, so we offer workshops at various schools across the country. We've done several thousands of them to date, um, which can be either with educators so they can see uh, warning signs to look out for how to respond, or with classes or assembly with children, teaching them coping skills, um, what to do in certain situations, etc. So we're trying to approach it holistically, not only after the fact with someone reaching out to us, but going into these communities, working with our partners to really try to turn the tide a bit, although it is definitely an uphill battle. Yeah, now, speaking of an uphill battle, um, as you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, in in times when we went to school, there was bullying. I certainly was bullied when I was younger. Uh, I remember some, you know, specific events uh, and feeling quite threatened at times, uh, fearful uh, in other instances. Um, now, the thing is, uh, are we making some headway? I know it's an uphill battle, but are, are you seeing are you seeing some 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 good coming out of this? For sure, um, one of the components of the social media thing that we have going on, it's not all negative, is that certain instances have at times been recorded and then shared, and there's a lot of it's kind of supportive feedback from across the board where people can see, hey, okay, this is A, wrong, and B, we're not necessarily alone in this. Um, or seeing people more willing to speak up or to reach out for help. Um, I think that the, just because we're seeing an increase of calls coming in doesn't necessarily mean that there's more incidents of bullying. It's just that people are a little bit more able to talk about it or can understand that this is what that is. It's bullying. It's not just, you know, kids being kids um, and that there are ways to combat it. Mm. 
Uh, just like to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Andy Mott. He's a spokesperson for Bullying Canada. And we are, ta- of course, talking about bullying and uh, what that means, uh, what forms it takes, and what, uh, what, how uh, Bullying Canada is out there to try and help uh, in 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 any way it can, uh, and and so it makes itself available twenty four hours a day, seven days a week through its uh, hotline and through its phone line. I'll give that out now. Once again, it's one eight seven seven three five two four four nine seven. They're available uh, through email at support at bullying dot bullyingcanada dot ca. Um, Andy, you know one of the things that you kind of alluded to earlier, and, and what came to mind was. That when someone is bullying, uh, you know, you, you, I guess part of a defense or part of the things that you're, you feel that you're, you're, you're helpless in some ways when that happens and what to do when you're on your own, especially as a young person. And you're afraid to address it. You're afraid to talk to anyone about it because, you, you, you know, maybe there will be further uh, repercussions or, uh, you know, you don't want your, your parents to maybe jump in to make a situation worse for you. How do we, how do we help with youth to understand and, 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 and know that they, they need to uh, get some help? Um, well, the first thing, we need to make sure that they're aware that it's okay to need help. Mm. Um, and we have people reaching out to us from both sides, bullied mm. and bully. Mm. Um, in a lot of instances which is important to realize the bullies are acting out um, sometimes for a variety of reasons that need to be addressed. Um, there are certain risk factors, um, obviously, but a lot of times, you know, these people that are bullied become bullies later on due to the isolation from their peers, which might make them depressed or anxious, low self-esteem, um, and it might be a way that they cope with it. Mm. So it's really hard to just paint everything with one brush, um, which is why it's so important to, do, to look at this at a holistic level. Um, and as far as kids maybe being willing or unwilling to reach out, um, for our service anyway, it's important to note that everything is as confidential as possible. I mean, if there's a direct threat to self-harm or something like that, obviously we will need to act regardless. Um, but we work at the pace that the child is comfortable with. Um, don't just, you know, parachute in and try to fix the situation and end up maybe exacerbating it a bit. Mm. Um, so trying to understand really what's going on and how the particular youth is reacting to it mm. in kind of easing way into it when possible. You know, uh, as we both mentioned about about our own uh, earlier instances that you know may or may not have have had. I'm not sure about your own your own uh, upbringing and your own uh, uh, encounter with bullying. But uh, it, it, as you point out uh, from uh, comments made and from things you've observed is that uh, it can it can be devastating. It can leave kids withdrawn and shy and insecure, and that can that can result in other uh, physical manifestations for for kids that may have uh, stomach aches and headaches and panic attacks and nightmares, um, and and really uh, you know feel like they have they have nowhere to go. Um, so uh, 
then that's the one side of it for the, as you mentioned, this is a holistic approach. And you also try to deal with uh, the, those that are, are bullied as well as the bullies. And, and those people that are bullying um, have those, have those uh, things that they can, hopefully will come forward and, and look to see it to try and resolve. Because, you know, perhaps those people uh, can help in many ways in terms of helping to understand bullying and, and maybe... Uh, and I'm sure you probably have spokespeople aside from yourself that do go out and that you look for uh, representatives or, or people that can speak on behalf of this to go out to schools and, and help to spread the word and help to, uh, help to reach people that are in need. Absolutely. Um, and that gets into a, a couple of things. Um, one... We all of us have a responsibility to our communities. When we see this sort of behavior in action, um, we shouldn't just ignore it. Um, we should intervene immediately. Um, if you're uncomfortable with that, it's okay to get other another adult to help. Um, but we shouldn't think kids can work it out without adult help. Mm. Um, and we should also work to avoid embarrassing them. So. You know, not questioning children in front of other children to try to sort out what happened, um, not making them, you know, have a forced apology or try to patch things up on the spot, which has no actual meaning. It's, you know, say sorry or, you know, you have detention or some other punishment. It's the, it's the easy way out. It's not really fixing anything. Um, further to that sort of uh, responsibility or at least feeling of responsibility, if anyone does want to get involved and help, we have a number of ways that they can do that um, through volunteering with us, um, whether that's going through our training program and working on the support line, um, helping in other areas, donating funds, et cetera, so we can make sure we offer all these services. Um, it's really a whole community thing. Uh, you said training program that specifically relates to the online calls for receiving calls, or is there there's is there more to that? Um, so, aside from the workshops that we do out in the community with schools or other organizations, um, we train our volunteers that have direct contact with youth through the, our support services um, in a number of number of areas to ensure that they're able to adequately help and have the tools and resources that they need uh, to do so, um, including coping skills. Because the content of some of these calls for help can be really disturbing. Um, the resolution is, you know, usually pretty joyful, but that beginning portion can have some really horrifying content. Mm. Um, you know, as I think uh, th through this, and uh, it, it's sort of uh, it, it spoken to a little bit from some of the comments on your website as well, um, you know, at an early stage, when, as you pointed out, some kids that may be suffering and they turn to, to bullying as a way because of maybe self-esteem, it's a way for them to feel empowered, uh, et cetera, get some attention. Maybe it starts out as a way of, of joking uh, that, that, you know, they're seeing, they're getting some attention, some laughs, and, and they don't realize the hurt they are, they are uh, giving to other people by doing so. Um, but, but the other thing, of course, that you, you mentioned is that uh, this can build. Uh, people get, get into this, uh, 
can 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 potentially uh, through this ag- aggression and through this way uh, can sometimes lead to uh, you know lead into adulthood and 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 perhaps into to greater uh, greater areas where they might have issues with potentially gangs uh, potentially with with uh, criminal activity et cetera et cetera. Yeah. Um, yes, it's very important to try to resolve it as quickly as possible, and that's one of the reasons parents should have that sort of open dialogue communication or other caregivers, et cetera. Um, if they see a sort of major change in their child's attitude, behavior, academic performance, might be a good time to sit down and try to drill down to find out what's going on, not in an accusatory way, but it you know, if someone's being bullied, they may not like going to school, might have uh, even actual illness or faking illness to avoid having to go. Um, they might be unable to concentrate as much, so their grades might slip. So these can be key indicators that something is going on. Um, I mean, it might have an easy uh, cause, like death of a loved one or someone. Um, like that, but it often can be highlighting one of these situations. Hmm. Um, I'm wondering, in terms of uh, of accessing people or or uh, trying to to find people that can speak uh, on your behalf or or try to uh, deal with this. Um, you, you've mentioned, of course, that that you you have these workshops and things. Uh, have you have you received uh, calls or or um, uh, input from from maybe motivational speakers that may be dealing or have or deal with this in terms of uh, um, you know inspirational people, inspirational talks, those kind of things that that deal with this uh, that are out there doing this on their own, uh, but feel the need to get involved or or can help in this area. Um, excuse me. We're always open to more help in trying to achieve our mission. Um, not, I think we have a couple people that do that now, obviously always looking for more. Hmm. Um, but we have a number of people, including both co-founders that give these talks and workshops and several volunteers. Um, but it's... Always a bit of a uh, process to make these these happen. So we'd absolutely welcome people that are willing to help um, and get into these uh, schools and community groups. Great. So if anyone out there is uh, that is in, in involved or in that line of work, uh, if you're listening and and you you think that what you're doing and making presentations. Uh, that are on on the motivational side of things, where you know a lot of people's stories they get shared in this kind of thing that that can help others. And we all know that uh, by sharing stories, uh, the more st- stories that get shared, the better, because uh, not everyone's story touches everyone else. So we need more more representation. And I'm sure uh, uh, this is uh, something that is nationwide, of course. Uh, uh, Andy, perhaps you can share uh, what, what would you say is the is the percentage. Uh, roughly, if you know, uh, of, of the, the kind of uh, statistics that tell us uh, h- how great of an issue uh, uh, bullying is. Um, 
We don't have it to hand broken down by necessarily province or city. Mm. Um, but I can tell you that we, on average, have more than a thousand youth reaching out to us each day um, or their families. And that number is consistent or increasing mm. over time. Mm. So it's a very prevalent, widespread uh, problem. And we get calls from right across the country from small towns with, you know, like a dozen people in the school to some of the larger cities with dozens and dozens of schools themselves. So mm. it doesn't really matter where you are. It's something that's affecting you in some shape or form. Okay, Andy, we only have a little bit of time left. I want to talk a little bit about what people can find when they go to the website. You you have some stories there. You have uh, things that can, people, as we mentioned, people can go, they can reach out to you, they can find out more about volunteering and uh, and, and donating, uh, which I'm sure is much needed, uh, uh, numbers and things for for, uh, for them to get a hold of you. Uh, it, it, there's also other, uh, we, we were talking about support material, I guess, and one of those things that I saw in there was the, uh, uh, the book, The 13 Reasons Why. You have a connection to that. Yes. Um, <clears throat> So on our site, we try to have a variety of resources for anyone that would want to connect with us, whether that's a child or family in need of help, someone that maybe has gone through this and wants to support others. Um, We have resources for what to do, you know, if you're being bullied, if you see bullying, if your child's bullied, um, things you can read, ways to contact us. Um, And some of these uh, promoting some different books and things that touch on those uh, situations. Um, 13 Reasons Why, obviously, it's sort of become a little bit of a pop culture thing mm. with the Netflix show um, and offers an interesting perspective into what can happen when it when one of these situations goes unchecked. Mm. Um, obviously, it's a little bit more extreme than... Mm then we'd hope most of these situations are. Um, But it definitely goes to talk about um, things that our children are facing. Um, They're often more mature for their age than, you know, previous generations might have been. So some of the subject matter might be maybe a little bit more uncomfortable than anticipated, but it's important to uh, approach each of these situations with you know, a safe and understanding viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, never really want to get into accusations or, you know, saying you're a bad person or whatever. It's the specific behaviors that need to be addressed. Right. Uh, so we're going to just uh, finish up in a moment here, and I'll give out those numbers again. Uh, but Andy, is there anything else we haven't spoken about that you feel is important to mention before we uh, end? I think that's the meat of it, but just to reiterate, you know, bullying requires a response. Um, whether you're an adult or a child, it's important not just to accept it as status quo. Um, if you're a kid, you get a teacher, trusted adult, someone to help let them know what's going on. If you are an adult, you know, you have a bit of a responsibility not to ignore it. Um, if the kids could sort it out amongst themselves, it wouldn't exist, mm. right? So 
but to do so in a non-judgmental manner. And if you're uncomfortable with it, you know, it's okay to bring someone else in. No one's saying you have to do, you know, drop everything and become a social worker or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very important to make sure everyone understands that this behavior isn't acceptable. We have a lot of, you know, zero tolerance for bullying um, and promotions and things of that nature. But people need to understand that, you know, the behavior that they're seeing is bullying. Um, it's not necessarily just kids being kids. You know, there's a certain element of teasing that everyone goes through, and that's that's fine. That's not what we're talking about. It's when it becomes excessive um, that we need to worry about it. Right. Uh, nicely said. Thank you very much. Uh, Andy Mott, he's a spokesperson for Bullying Canada. He's been my guest here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. It's been a pleasure to, and I'm glad, thanks for joining us, uh, Andy, to, to share these thoughts about Bullying Canada. And uh, just before we go, I'm going to give out uh, those numbers once again. If you're trying to get a hold of them, you can call one 4497 and that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Also, you can get a hold uh, of them uh, at support at bullyingcanada.ca. Uh, Andy, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having us, David. You're very welcome. And that is Moment of Truth for today. I thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time right here on Element FM and more Moment of Truth. Until then, I say onigiha.